that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Father God, we pray that in these moments your spirit would illumine your word uh, in our hearts that we might begin to grasp not only your superabundance, your grace and your power and your love, but the way in which that love has been vouchsafed to us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. That that would give us hope and confidence and courage as we follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Six years ago, my brother-in-law and I and some friends uh, decided that we would hike the 137 miles of the John Muir Trail of the southern half. We had already done the northern half. Uh, we'd been out one week, covered 70 miles, had just crossed over Pinchot Pass at 12,000 feet, and had sort of gotten strung out down the trail uh, so that I was walking by myself. And as usual, I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. I was going rather too fast for such a steep section, and I tripped. Now, ordinarily, a trip would have been embarrassing, but nothing more. But as I fell, my left foot caught under a rock, and so my ankle went one direction, and my knee went the other direction, and I heard something snap, and I knew I was in trouble. Uh, I thought it was my knee. I was very pleased to recognize that my knee was still functioning, uh, but my ankle was not so good. Thought it was a sprain, so I slapped on a um, an ace bandage that I carried in my pack for just such an eventuality and hobbled the two miles down to the rendezvous point at Woods Creek uh, where we were going to meet up. By the time I got there, I was in so much pain and my ankle had swollen so large that I knew there was no way that I could do the next uh, 70 miles of the trip. Uh, we were covering 10 to 13 miles a day uh, with elevation gains and losses of 5,000 feet. And there was just no way I was going to be able to do that. So I <clears throat> talked to the men, excuse me, said, there's nothing you can do to help me. You go on ahead. You have a resupply to meet. I'll hike out this side trail that was about 17 miles in length. So they went on. I spent the night there alone. The next morning at dawn, I was on the trail. After three hours, I had made it two and a half miles, and it began to dawn on me that I was not getting out of the mountains that day, and maybe not the next. So picture me sitting in a creek on a rock, uh, icing my ankle, praying a very non-theologian's prayer. <laughs> Dear Lord, 
I'm in deep trouble. Actually, I was in worse trouble than I knew. It wasn't sprained, it was broken. Uh, it would take a plate and six screws to put it back together. But thankfully, I didn't know that then. I just said, dear Lord, I'm in trouble. Please show up. Have you ever felt like that? Broken and battered and praying that God would show up. It may be a financial crisis that came out of nowhere. That's how they usually seem to come. That you have no hope of meeting in your own resources. Uh, maybe it's a relational strain within your family, perhaps within your marriage or with one of your children, where it will take something superhuman to bring reconciliation and healing. Maybe it's a situation at work or a crisis in the church. Whatever it is, the Apostle Paul wants us to see clearly this morning that because he is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or even imagine, we must trust him when those moments come. Uh, Paul is going to break this passage into two sections. 14 to 19 is a prayer report uh, where he's going to give us three reasons why we should trust him. And then verses 21, or 20 and 21 are his doxology, where he is going to be so excited that he just burst into praise, reminding us of the God that we serve. Let's look first of all at the prayer report, uh, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Let's just pause on that for a moment. What reason, Paul? Uh, well, Paul is talking about everything uh, that Carl has been preaching about the last month, uh, that we were called before the foundation of the world, uh, that we were predestined to be forgiven and reconciled and redeemed in Christ, that we've been given the Holy Spirit as the down payment of our inheritance, and that we are going to know the hope of his calling and his glorious inheritance in the saints and his resurrection power in our lives. And then in chapter 2, he shifts gears and talks about the fact that we have been saved by grace through faith, united to Christ, raised from the dead, and that he has prepared good works for us to do before the foundation of the world. And then he shifts to what Andrew Walls has called the Ephesians moment, that reconciliation between Jew and Gentile, um, a cultural gulf that you and I can't even scarcely imagine, how Christ has made them one new person and is building them into a living temple of living stones in his body, the church. In chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, he's going to go on talking about how astonishing that is, which should parenthetically give us hope for ethnic divisions within the church today, that the Holy Spirit can bring biblical reconciliation and healing. And then he just has to pray, to give thanks to the Lord for all that he's done. And so he says, I kneel in worship before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and on earth draws its name. Now, you might think he's talking about the church, and certainly that's incorporated, but it's more than that. Paul is trying to make it clear that this is the father of every living being. 
whether angels in heaven or human beings on earth, he is the giver of life. He is the sustainer of life. He is the Lord of life. Probably an intertextual allusion back to Isaiah 45, verse 23, where the Lord says, I am the Lord, there is no other Savior. The whole world will bow before me and confess that I am Lord. And Paul says, we bow before the Father who alone is Savior. Uh, we bow before him knowing that he is our Father, not just the source of our being, but he is the one to whom we can come crying out, Abba, Father. And Paul says, given that that's true, I'm going to pray for you that out of his superabundance, he would give you strength. And he begins with his first reason, that we should trust in the Lord. He says that according to the riches of his glory, his superabundance, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. And it's that word dunamis from which we get dynamite. Uh, so we're expecting not just a little burst of energy, um, but the mighty power of God at work in his people. To be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, note that Paul is not suggesting that Christ doesn't already dwell in our hearts through his Holy Spirit. But as Charles Hodge said, uh, the indwelling of Christ is a matter of degrees. What Paul wants is for his people to be so captivated by the love of Christ that we would be asking the Father to give us power so that by grace through faith, we might know him better, we might trust him more, and importantly, so that we might become more like Jesus. To be strengthened in the inner person is to have Christ dwell in our hearts by faith. The Holy Spirit is the agent of that growth, and you can look at the Westminster Shorter Catechism as it talks about our progressive sanctification as we die more and more to sin and live more and more unto righteousness. This is the work of the Spirit, and yet, beloved, it's a work that we get to cooperate in, and we are to pursue the means of grace, and we are to pursue the Lord Jesus every day. When you and I wake up in the morning, our first thought should be to cry out, Holy Spirit, good morning. What do you have planned for me today? Make me a blessing. Help me to reflect your love. Enable me to walk in love as Christ walked in love. Amen. And then we start the day and we see what God has planned. That we would go through the day with a running conversation with the Lord praying for strength, praying for wisdom, praying for courage to be witnesses, bold witnesses to the faith that we have. Paul says, if you do this, you will see that Christ will more and more dwell in your heart. Uh, we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul writes these words. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us 
an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then Paul just gets so excited. He says, you are rooted and grounded in love. It's an imperative statement. We are to be deeply rooted. Uh, think about knockout roaches, not roaches, knockout roses. I've never said that before. Um, in the, the North Georgia sun in August, not even the hottest days can kill them. They just have to bloom. Um, we're grounded in love. It's an architectural metaphor. Think of someone building a building and putting down a solid foundation with proper footings, with everything needed to make that building stand and shine. Paul says, this is what you are in the power of the Spirit. Be who you are. Praise that we would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in the inner person so that Christ might dwell and our hearts by faith. Beloved, that's our birthright. Uh, but then a second reason um, is even more exciting in some ways. Uh, Paul says in verse 16, verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And no, he doesn't state an object, but it becomes clear that the object is the unsurpassed love of Christ. Uh, it's not clear whether Paul is thinking of Ephesian uh, magicians who would use incantations, sort of Harry Potter-esque, uh, using this type of wording, I think more likely he is making an intertextual allusion to Job chapter 11, where Job says, can you find the deep things of God? Verse 7, 8, it's higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. You in your finiteness, Paul says, can't begin apart from the grace of God, to grasp the magnificent love of Christ. And so he prays that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints, with the body of Christ, the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ. And he means here personally, experientially, not just as a proposition, but as a reality in our lives I've never been to the Grand Canyon. Not sure how to explain that. But I've been to the Grand Canyon of Israel, a place called Maktesh Ramon. And they'll tell you, they have this glass uh, balcony that you can walk out on. And so you're standing over just this incredible um, drop as it falls away into the depths of the canyon. But the colors rise out of the desert and there's this overwhelming sense of glory of God's glory and creation being revealed, Paul says, I want you to know that. I want you to know that so well that in the times of difficulty and hardship, when you're broken and battered and praying for God to show up, you would not doubt that he loves you, that you belong to Christ, 
that you are co-heirs with him, that he's prepared for you a glorious future that no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has ever begun to conceive. You need to know that. Because the third reason is you and I will, by the power of God, grow up into the fullness of God, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That phrase is uh, pregnant with so much meaning. Uh, but to, to break it down a little bit more clearly, chapter 4, verse 13, Paul rephrases, well, let me begin in verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, uh, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And Paul says, when that happens will be transformed, speaking the truth in love. Verse 15, we will grow up every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In chapter 5, verse 2, he tells the people of God to walk in love to be imitators of Christ. Paul's prayer is that you and I would come to know the Lord so well that we would have Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith in ever-increasing measure, uh, that we would grasp the love of Christ for us. You want to know what Christ thinks of the crises you're in? You look at the cross. Kelly Capick tells the freshman this every year. You want to know what he says or thinks or feels about your brokenness or about your pain. You look at the cross. You see the lengths to which Jesus was willing to go. Fulfilling the law by perfect obedience so that his righteousness is imputed to us and received by faith, bearing our sin on the cross in his passive obedience, propitiating the wrath of the Father so that when the Father looks at you and I, he doesn't see our sin, but he sees the sum total of the righteousness of Christ and he calls out, you are my beloved daughter or son of grace. We need to catch the vision. 44 years ago, uh, Kathy and I went out to the Black Hills to study geology at Wheaton Science Station. Um, I was a terrible science student. I won't tell you the grades I got. Um, let's just say I graduated, so that was good. Uh, but one of the things we did for a field trip was to go to Jewel Cave. And the ranger was kind of walking us through the cave. And at one point, she took us off in a, a side chamber, and she um, told us to, to switch on our flashlights, and we did. And I don't know how far we walked. You know, when it's dark, you really can't tell. But at one point, she told us to stop and switch off the lights. And it was darkness so thick, you could have cut it with a knife. And then she flipped a switch. And we were in this cavern that resonated with such glory that I still remember it as if it happened yesterday. That's what Paul wants you and I to see. 
the glory of his love revealed in his son through the power of the spirit in our lives. Paul prays that that would be so. And that causes him then to go into praise, doxology. Um, if you were taking homiletics, you would be told that this is an inscription, but whatever it is, it's amazing. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. Just think about that for a minute. Paul says that the Father, uh, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, the Lord and giver of life, uh, who sustains all that is, the creator ex nihilo of the universe, uh, that out of his superabundance, he is able to do more exceeding abundantly than we can ask. And the ESV says think, but I like the NIV's rendering better or even imagine. More than we can ask, um, what are the things right now that you can't even bring yourself to dare to ask the Father? Things that just are so impossible, you can't even echo the words, not even in your hearts. Paul says, listen, you need to understand he is able to do more than that. He's able out of a superabundance to do more than you and I would dare to ask, where's the power shortage? Maybe you have elderly parents that you're caring for and you're running out of strength and you're running out of wisdom and you're running out of money and you don't know what to do. He's able to come to your aid. Maybe you've got a young child who will not sleep during the night, who keeps you awake so that you can't stay awake at work. And you've tried everything. You've read Penelope Leach. You've talked endlessly uh, to older mothers and fathers who presumably are wiser or at least more experienced, and they have no hope to offer you. And you're just about at your wit's end. Maybe you have just lost a job, and you're wondering how you're going to pay the bills this month. Maybe you've just gotten a job, and you're wondering if this wasn't all a terrible mistake. Paul says he is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask. But then he goes beyond that and says, or even imagine, can you believe that God is powerfully at work in us in ways that we don't even fathom? Ways that are for our good and for his glory that we cannot comprehend. Listen, beloved, God always answers our prayers. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, for he is too wise and loving to give us that which would harm us. Sometimes wait, because he is shaping us into those sharpened arrows of Isaiah 49 that are going to be used to proclaim and bear witness to the gospel in this generation. But can we trust him that he's at work even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, that he is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or think or even imagine. Friday afternoon, I was down at the camp house uh, drinking a coffee and studying, and all of a sudden, I pulled out my legal pad and made a list of all the impossible things in my life right now. I won't share with you um, what they are. If you want to talk about that later, we can. But hopes I have, dreams 
I would long to see realized, things that I cannot possibly make happen, and I wrote them down on the pad. It's quite a list. And then I took my pen, and in big letters, I wrote across it, he is able. Can I encourage you to do that sometime today? Just make a list of all the things you barely can dare to ask the Father. And right across there, he is able, because, beloved, he longs to come with power into your life. I cannot promise you what he will do, but I know this, it will be great. Because the Father loves you and is working out all of history and heaven and earth for the glory of his church. Uh, Paul says to him, be glory in the church. He will be glorified. Maybe you're worried about Chattanooga Valley Press right now. Who is your under-shepherd going to be? What will that look like? What kind of changes will it mean? It's a very unsettling time. Can you believe that Christ will be glorified in your church? that he's already identified your next pastor, you just have to discover who he is. And that will happen on time, and then his time, at the right time. I, but more than that, Paul says he will be glorified in you. Uh, he's created good works for you to do uh, before the foundation of the world. Uh, he's singing a song about you, and he will not finish until it's complete. Until he who began a good work in you, Paul says in Philippians 1, brings it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. It will happen. He will be glorified. He is the Father. That day on the trail, I finished my prayer. Dear Lord, I need you to show up. And I'm not making this up. I lifted my eyes into the hills, uh, hoping that some help was coming. And there was a ranger a backcountry ranger um, who had been up in the high country with pack train resupplying a work crew. Uh, she had taken somebody up to join the crew, and it just so happened that Cindy had a spare horse, a huge sorrel named Red. And because in the Lord's providence at the age of 10 at Honey Rock Camp, I learned to ride horseback, we talked the National Park Service into letting me ride out of the high country. 17 miles down through King's Canyon. Glory. Now look, I'd always wanted to do this, but there was no way I could possibly afford it. And here the Father was giving me this amazing gift in the midst of my trouble. At one point, um, as we were going, she was at the front of the pack train, I was at the back. Cindy paused, turned around and said, well, don't you look just like John I think she was just being nice. <laughs> now, if you ask me why I fell on the trail that day, uh, it's because I am really seriously uncoordinated. I tripped. But if you ask me how God used it in my life, listen, one of the problems of being a Bible professor is that it gets very academic. And in that moment when I was in distress, the Father sent a visible, tangible presence of his Holy Spirit and powerfully moved all the circumstances of my life to give me a fresh experience of his ability to do beyond all that I could ask or even imagine. Beloved, I know he longs to do that for us this morning. Let's go to him in prayer and ask for 
his presence. Father, we pray that in the hearts of those whose hearts are breaking this morning, you would be pleased to come mighty to save, that you would pour out your love into their hearts through your spirit, that you would assure them that you are at work in ways that cannot fathom, that we might know you better and trust you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.